Hello girls, back again. So this is what is said about the performance that happened in 19, in 1957 um, at the San Quentin Stage Prison. The, the per play was staged in the dining hall where the prison gallows once stood and it is said that almost 1,400 inmates watched the performance. There were some prisoners who were not allowed to come out of their cells and they listened to it over loudspeakers or heard about the play from their fellow cellmates. The play was directed by Herbert Bloch with the San Francisco Actors Workshop and one of the inmates of the prison named Rick Cliuche also was a locked prisoner who couldn't watch the play in person. He just heard about it from his fellow inmates and he remarks about it. He says, it caused a stirring. My cellmate returned and told glowing stories. The thing that everyone in San Quentin understood about Beckett while the rest of the world had trouble catching up was what it meant to be in the face of it. And this inspired the inmates of the prison to start their own theatre group which evolved into the San Quentin Drama Workshop which was headed by this particular inmate Rick Cliuche himself. In 1961, Rick Cliuche and his team staged their own production of Godot and invited Bloch and the actors back to San Quentin to watch their performance. After Cliuche was released from prison in 1966, he became a leading interpreter and director of Beckett's works and he was also his close friend. Cliuche continued the work of the company outside of the prison as well. So... Uh, when Waiting for Godot was staged in the San Quentin prison, such was the great impact that it had. And the question was, how could a play which belonged to the experimental genre, the avant-garde movement, avant-garde, uh, as you know, is, uh, is an experimental form uh, in arts, literature, culture and so on. So such a play that was avant-garde in nature, that was uh, filled with new and experimental ideas and methods and which appealed only to the esoteric audience. Esoteric means which is normally understood only by a small number of people who have a specialized knowledge or interest uh, in that particular subject. Such a type of play, how could it click with the San Quentin prisoners? That was the question. And the answer is probably that because uh, it confronted the prisoners with a situation that was some way similar to their own. Uh, their own similar experiences uh, could be seen in the play as well. Or perhaps it was also because uh, they were not as sophisticated as the other audiences of Waiting for Godot. The sophisticated audiences found it very difficult to understand the play. But they were such uncomplicated people that they did not come here with any ideas, preconceived notions. They did not have any idea at the back of their head regarding how the play should be. They did not have any ready-made expectations. So they did not fall into the mistake that trapped all the established critics who had watched the play and who had blamed the play for its lack of plot. So many scholarly people and critics who had watched the play, they started blaming it, saying that it had no plot, 
it had no characterization development no suspense and it, 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 it even didn't have any sense common sense at all but the prisoners did not expect anything from it probably that was why they could relate to it so much because they did not uh, fall into the trap of intellectual snobbery they were not snobbish enough uh, they were not so hi-fi enough to think that this place should be or should belong to such a pattern or should be in such and such a manner uh, you know, most of the audiences waiting for Godo had fallen into this trap they are they pretended to like the play without even understanding it or without even wanting to understand what it meant so that was why they, they could not relate to waiting for Godot because it was a play uh, which did not give any sense, knock any sense into their head at all. And uh, at San Quentin, it was received very well, uh, perhaps because it was, even though it was dismissed off as nonsense or as something that is obscure or mystification, something that is complex, there is something that it has to say. And there is something in it that it needs to be understood. And the same can be said about plays by other absurd dramatists like Ionesco, Adamov, Pinter and many others. So these plays have often been received with a lot of incomprehension. Incomprehension in the sense that people have not been able to understand such plays. Still critics keep receiving them with a lot of uh, disappointment they are not satisfied with the play and they are confused they are bewildered so all this comes from the fact that these plays are part of a stage convention that is difficult to be understood and that has not been understood prop properly so plays written in this new convention in the absurd convention cannot be judged according to the standards and criteria of other plays because they do not belong to that criteria. If, the, if they are judged according to the criteria of other standard plays, then they will be regarded as impertinent, as plays out of convention or as outrageous impostors, as just pretensions. They will not be seen as proper uh, plays. They will be looked at with a lot of apprehension. So you cannot look at these plays in comparison to conventional plays. They will be seen as impostors means pretenses. Okay. So uh, it will be looked upon as just a play of pretension if you compare the play with conventional plays. So uh, remember, Ionesco, Adamov and Harold Pinter are also playwrights who belonged to the avant-garde movement. Ionesco was a Romanian-French playwright who was one of the greatest figures of the French avant-garde theatre. Adamov was a French playwright of Russian origin and he was one of the first exponents of the theatre of the absurd. Harold Pinter also was a British playwright, screenwriter, director and actor, a Nobel Prize winner and one of the most influential modern British dramatists uh, who is known for very well-known works like The Birthday Party, Homecoming, French Lieutenant's Woman and so on. So these playwrights were often associated with the avant-garde and the absurd movement. That is the reason why they are mentioned here by Eslin. So Eslin uh, feels that such plays, the absurd plays, cannot be compared by plays that belong to the conventional mode. 
because if you look uh, at them in that sense, then you will not be able to relate to it at all. Okay, so um, these are often plays that do not have any uh, recognizable characters and uh, they, the characters may seem to be just like puppets to the audience because they believe or at least the conventional audience believe that a good play has to have a fully explained theme, a very well exposed plot that should be solved towards the end. But the problem with these plays is that they do not even have a proper beginning or an end. And uh, according to old standards, a play should hold a mirror up to nature. At least that is what old critics of the Elizabethan and Augustan ages uh, tell us. So uh, that is supposed to be what a play should do. It should portray the mannerism of the age in which it belongs to. And it should give, uh, it should reflect the dreams and aspirations of that age. Uh, and uh, uh, it is believed that a good play should have witty dialogues, proper, sharp, pointed dialogues. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, the absurd plays lack all this. And uh, if you look at it in comparison with other standard plays, you would just feel that the dialogues here are not dialogues at all. They are just more like babblings, like characters talking nonsense to each other. So in that sense, we cannot evaluate the theatre of the absurd. So the plays that we are concerned with here, that is the absurd plays, they do not have objectives that are similar to the objectives and aims of conventional plays. We cannot compare them with them. They use quite different methods. They can only be judged by the standards of the theatre of the absurd. So what Eslin tries to uh, substantiate in this introduction is also the same. He wants to tell us about the aims and objectives and the purposes of the theatre of the absurd. Let us pause there for the time.